0: Okay, so we're looking at Genesis chapter 19. So I hope you have your Bibles handy and we're going to retell some of the story. Um, Last week, uh, I understand that you guys have been studying um, through the book of Genesis and you would have gone through chapter 18. And uh, chapter 19, quite frankly, would be very different had Abraham not interceded on behalf of those who were righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah. And also it would be very different had he not Uh, shown hospitality to these two men who were angels sent from heaven. Uh, So it's a very interesting chapter, and we we need to come to this chapter realising that this chapter belongs in the story of Abraham, not actually the story of Lot. Uh, It it could be easy if we we actually just looked at chapter 19 on its own, we might uh, be tempted to think that this story is actually about Lot, but This story is actually told in the context of what Abraham had done previously with intercession, his covenant with God. And then also that uh, later on, we have to remember that the people of Israel are reading this uh, at the time of going into the promised land, uh, having Moses written the first five books of of the scriptures that we have called the Torah. Uh, Israel would be reading these stories and bringing a reference to where they're at uh, in relation to Abraham, not in relation to Lot. Lot's story does have a significance, but more so to the point of uh, the Moabites and Ammonites being, if you like, close cousins to the, um, uh, to the, the covenant that Abraham has with, with God. Okay, so that's, that's kind of framing this story. Now, the start of this story, we have uh, Lot at the at the city gate and he sees two men coming who are foreigners. And uh, I don't know how cultural this is, but he bows down uh, before them with his face to the ground and then offers them a place to board for the night. Very interestingly, these two men say to uh To Lot, no, we will stay in the square. And it's uh, kind of this tense moment. For those that kind of know the story, you kind of read over it. But for those who are reading it for the first time, you realize this is so close to Lot not really understanding what's about to take place and missing it. And uh, Lot is said to. uh, let's see, the words that were used, he insists, that's it, he insists so strongly that they decide um, to to take their board up at Lot's house that night. So they go to Lot's house, he prepares a dinner for them, uh, it's in haste uh, because he, he uh, bakes bread, not like Abraham did, who baked bread uh, like what we would have, but he bakes bread with, um, without yeast, uh, which is often a sign of in haste. Uh, and then they, having had the meal, all of a sudden we've got this uh, story that unfolds where the men of the city uh, come outside of his house and they begin to, uh, they, they begin to uh, come out with threats. It's almost like prison rules. If you could think of a prison kind of environment where a group of men come together and they're intent on violence. They're intent on lust and outworking anything that's in their heart. These men were about to do that. And we find in verse 5, we have a picture as to what they're intending on doing. Uh, Chapter 19, verse 5 reads this. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Now, this is a very strong language and it was very strong language. We could get confused here by saying that this whole story is about, um, you know, a a city that has uh, become uh, very promiscuous uh, through homosexual acts and so on. But if we were going to talk about that particular subject, there are better passages to talk about than this one. Uh, We have a mix here, actually, of a city that is not only uh, practicing uh, sexuality in an immoral sense, but also violence, rape, and um, and also uh, at the expense of others. And so we find Lot at this time, he steps out from his house, closes the door behind him, and begins this discussion with these men. Well, it's not a discussion, it's an argument, to say, these are my guests, you will not do such a thing. And then he does the the unspeakable. We might think of Lot as a righteous man uh, simply because later on in the New Testament, in reflection, they speak of him as a righteous man. And indeed, he is according to the covenant, but not according to his actions. Because the very next thing that he does is that he offers his two daughters who are virgins uh, to be um, uh, the, I I guess, the uh, substitute for his guests. And says, "Have your way with them." Uh, on one hand, he's saving face by uh, saying to uh, to these men, uh, "You cannot have." Uh, sorry, yeah, you cannot have these two men. And then he also offers up his two daughters. Whether there is a cultural context to this, where women were seen as being uh, uh, more possessions than they were uh, a family member. Uh, We don't really have that context here to to really discuss a great deal. But we do know that Lot has done something that is out of step with faith. He's done something according to trying to manage the situation himself. Now, as the story progresses, it starts to get heated even more because the men outside. And mind you, these are not just uh, some men of the city. It says men from all across the city, both young and old, it was a generational issue right across uh, the entire um, uh, city. And, uh, and so as they are arguing uh, about this, uh, they say to Lot, if you do not let us have access to these two men, we will do things even worse to you. And so you can see it's starting to rise and become even worse. At this point, the two angels, they open the door very quickly. You can imagine it happening uh, with them grabbing the shoulders or the the robe of uh, of Lot and pulling him back inside and shutting the door. And then at that point, they uh, strike the men supernaturally with blindness so that they grope around and cannot even find the front door to the house. It's an incredible story. Now, at this point, Lot doesn't know that his guests are anything other than just two men who are foreigners from outside of his town. But now he's starting to get a bit of a clue as to something that's much bigger than what he first thought. Uh, These men begin or they they reveal themselves as angels sent from God, that God intends to strike this city along with Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah were on a plane in a valley. And uh, so there was a number of towns, not just Sodom and Gomorrah. But when they say Sodom and Gomorrah, it includes a region. It's like saying the Hunter region, if you like. Uh, And so he included a a region of other townships and other villages. And they say that God intends to bring judgment upon uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities and villages. And uh, it is, you know, we have been sent To see if it were true, the outcry. Now, listen to this. In verse 13, we get a clue as to what was happening in heaven that has caused these two angels to come on behalf of uh, in a mission of what God has called them to do. Verse 13, because we're going to destroy this place, the outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. Now, if we weren't paying attention, we might think that its people refers to the nation of Israel. Well, who was in the nation of Israel at that time? Just Abraham and Sarah. There's no child yet. There's no nation. Its people is referring to the people uh, that belong on the earth. So those who are subject to the influence of Sodom and Gomorrah, there is an outcry that has come. God, you must do something about the wicked. Uh, you know, they are, and you can fill in the blank. You know, they, they've raped so and so. They have stolen such and such. They have um, ruined, you know, and so on. And so the outcry of people was such that God was responding to the outcry. This is an important note to take because sometimes people uh, will read a passage like this. And this is very common uh, and ignorantly common that uh, people will say, isn't God an angry God? Uh, They read passages like this and say, how could God allow such destruction? But they don't understand that the prayers of those who are asking, and we read of some of these kinds of prayers in the Psalms that give us an indication of the people that God created saying, God, the wicked, continue to get away with things and nothing's done about it. When will you come and bring about justice? And so we have this picture of a God who is in fact listening to uh, the people who are under uh, oppression. And he finally brings about judgment according to that oppression. We'll explore that just a little bit more uh, further on. Now, this story continues to to roll out. Lot is told to go and talk to his his sons-in-law who are betrothed to be married to his daughters, uh, both his daughters, um, I don't know if they're of marriageable age quite yet, but they're certainly betrothed. And uh, so he goes and talks to both men who are betrothed to his two daughters. And they think that jo- that Lot, rather, is um, joking. And they uh, simply just put it off as, as just Lot being uh, out of his mind, in a way. And uh, so the very next morning, rather than them joining with the family to escape... Uh, It's just Lot, his wife and two daughters. And the men, it says at dawn, they wake Lot and his wife and say, come, it's time to go. Well, you can imagine if there was a fire at your house, just imagine for a moment. And you uh, firstly, you knew about it because you could smell smoke or you could see that uh, there's something glowing and you realize there's a fire that's already started to take off. You only have seconds to make decisions in order to, to uh, get out of your house. Uh, you don't have a great deal of time. And it's that kind of haste that we find a lot. Uh, if you could just imagine, for those who are perhaps, uh, I guess any of us would be thinking, what can I grab to take with me? What do I need? Maybe there's food, maybe there's photographs maybe there's um, you know, certain uh, data that you have saved that you don't want to lose and so on and you think of all the things that are special and that, that might be taking some of your time space and, and uh, your headspace rather and your time in preparing yourself to go. Um, but what we see in this picture is that they don't have any of that time. Uh, even though they were, I guess, trying to work out how to get themselves ready to go, the two men say, you don't have time. They notice that they were hesitating. They grab them by the hand, and they take them. You can imagine. There's only three of them. They take them. Uh, maybe one of the angels has got two of them. Uh, sorry, there's four of them. Of course, both hands are grasping the hands of the other two, and all six of them leave, and uh, at the haste of these two men. The two men say to the family, uh, "Now make uh, your way to the mountains." Uh, for today, uh, as soon as the sun rises, uh, so it's dawn at the moment. The sun has not come over the horizon as yet. As soon as the sun comes over the horizon, uh, this place will be decimated. Uh, Lot realizes that uh, he doesn't have the time to make it to the mountains with his family, and he asks for a uh, he asks for a, a town that's a little bit closer, a small village called Zoar, and. Uh, he's given permission to go there uh, again this is similar kind of to and fro kind of conversation with uh, God's anointed and the people of God so Lot and his family they do make it to Zoar just as the sun peaks over the horizon and then all of a sudden uh, just what had already been described as what was going to happen happens and it's said that sulfur and fire comes down from heaven and Totally decimates uh, the plain of Sodom and Gomorrah and all of its surrounding villages, except for Zoar. If this were a natural occurrence, as in a natural disaster, then surely Zoar would have been decimated as well. If it were a natural disaster, then certainly Lot and his family would not have known to actually escape from. Uh, This disaster Uh, at that time when the the fire fell and destroyed the plain of Sodom and Gomorrah, we find that Lot's wife turns uh, and and it's in the sense of her affections are laid back in the old city. It was like a tension was going on for her of leaving that which she knew was not best for her, but she had grown accustomed to. And here lies the the deeper message that we need to hear about this particular story. Uh, And in fact, uh, this becomes a reference point from here on for all who would hear this story to respond in like kind as Lot did in not looking over his shoulder and not as his wife did who looked over his shoulder with affection for the world. So this is a very interesting story. We get to the tail end of it. Uh, where it references back to Abraham. And this is how we know that the story is not actually about Lot. In fact, it's about Abraham. And we read in verse 29 that, uh, or first, firstly in verse 27, Abraham ends up going back to the very next morning. Remember, he only just met with these men the day before. And so he goes back the very next morning to the place where he had met these men. And it, obviously at that place, you could overlook uh, the plain of Sodom and Gomorrah and he and we, we find that he sees dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace and then we pick up in verse 29 so when God destroyed the cities of the plain he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived so here here is the reference point uh, both uh, in the sense of, uh, in the sense of God's mercy uh, for Lot, but also uh, the the reference point of Abraham who interceded uh, for those who were righteous in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. Speaking of those who were in covenant, Lot, mind you, was simply a nephew of Abraham. He had taken the plain of Sodom and Gomorrah when uh, his flocks became so large and Abraham's flocks became so large that they had to f- to split ways. And he himself had seen the, the lushness of the land of Sodom and Gomorrah and had chosen to go that way. And yet he was still linked to his uncle through a covenant that his uncle had had with God. And he held on to that, even though... He was not as uh, morally, uh, I guess, uh, righteous in that sense. If we were to pick um, that part of the story. So here, Abraham, he ends up uh, back in the story where God remembered Abraham. Intercessors. You need to know that as you intercede for people, that God actually takes notice of your intercession. There are people that you need to stand for and intercede for. Some of them are believers who are going astray and have found themselves back in the affection of the world. Some are those who have not yet come to faith. And he's calling you to a deeper intercession. Abraham had a deep intercession for those who were righteous, calling them to God's. Uh, view and to uh, seeing them saved also okay so where do we go with this 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 is a really interesting story in fact if we were to read on um, which we're not going to do on this particular part but the story outlines for lot uh, he, he goes into a place where they end up in the mountains uh, his daughters uh, don't find uh, husbands their husbands that they were betrothed to are now uh, they have perished of course and uh, in the midst of all of that, they disgrace their father by getting him drunk and and uh, falling pregnant to their father. It's a very disgraceful kind of story, but they don't they don't tend to shy away from the truth of what actually happens in the scripture. You'll find they tell you as it was, and it gives a reference point as to where the Moabites came from and the Ammonites. Um, I find it interesting, just as a side note, that when Lot uh, placed his daughters. Uh, as an offer uh, to be uh, abused by these men back in Sodom that uh, it's like he had placed a vow over his daughters that he'd already committed them to destruction and here he has the fruit of it coming into play later on Uh, it just fascinates me that that's the case. If we go back to the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and we look at uh, the question of what was God doing here? Uh, and those who would say, uh, this is not the God that I know about. I don't know about a God who, uh, who judges. I know a God who loves, but I don't know and I don't think I want to know a God who judges. Or for somebody who perhaps is looking from the outside and saying, I cannot believe in a God who would do this to people, who would cause great genocide. In which case, I would, uh, I would ask the question, uh, how is it that we, and, and also as Job would also say, who are we to actually question God? How is it that we could actually be the judge of what God can, can do or not do? In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus says to his disciples, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Uh, this word for hell um, is actually in the Greek. It's Gehenna. It's the lake of fire. It's uh, uh, speaking of the final judgment of God. And uh, so for, on one hand... You know, we could be saying uh, there's there's one thing about somebody who uh, perhaps, you know, dies and their body no longer uh, continues to exist, but their soul lives on. Um, But uh, there is one who judges beyond just your lifetime right now. In fact, he judges in a way that's not just your uh, your body, but also your soul um, being cast in to the final judgment, which is the lake of fire. So uh, it's one thing to think of God as uh, somebody who, who loves but, and, and has mercy, but also he is a God of justice. He's a God of judgment. Um, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, we find Moses, when he asks to see the glory of God, we find that God shows himself in such a way that's not just the radiant glory of God, but also comes with a name that uh, expresses the glory of God. And uh, we find that Moses writes this, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Uh, Jesus also said that God, in fact, he said this to the Pharisees who were quick to judge, he said, go and learn this, that God is uh, quick to mercy. Uh, or I think he says that mercy over. Um, oh, I can't get the right word, but overacts. I'm going to say, which is the wrong word, but uh, overarks judgment. Mercy uh, overcomes judgment. It's God's intent to show mercy. In fact, uh, if we were to look at these occasions of the flood, Back in chapter 6 and 7 of Genesis. And then also Sodom and Gomorrah in chapter 19. Firstly, the flood came after a thousand years of God contending with man and their wickedness. He was slow to anger. His mercy extended out over those thousand years, hoping that they would turn and follow him. Uh, In the same way, we find in Sodom and Gomorrah, it's... now. This is a very interesting judgment because for those who are alive at the time, four to five hundred years prior, they would have had the folk stories of um, the flood of Noah, the three sons that came from Noah, Shem, Ham and Japheth. And they would have uh, understood that we come from one of those lines, that we are of those who were saved from judgment. And yet... Uh, They did not listen to the stories of the judgment that came over those people and their wickedness. And instead, they find themselves being judged at this time. We find some uh, smaller stories, uh, not like these two. The flood and Sodom and Gomorrah don't get repeated in the same way uh, throughout history. Um, But we do find uh, Egypt when when Moses and the people are leaving Egypt. There are judgments that happen upon the land, but they're not annihilation judgments like we see um, with Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, we find also when they're coming into the promised land and the people of Canaan, again, uh, we find that many, uh, uh, many cities are decimated and completely destroyed. And some by the hand completely of God without the, without the people uh, of the army of Joshua having anything to do with it. Uh, And we find that there are localized stories, but they don't contend to the complete uh, outworking through Canaan. These people, uh, if we were to just pause there for a moment, it's just of interest. Uh, Those of Sodom and Gomorrah, also those in the Promised Land, all come out of the uh, people of Ham, which Canaan was born of Ham. And out of Canaan came the likes of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Out of uh, Ham came places like Nineveh, and just to pause there for a moment, Nineveh in itself was also at the precipice of a judgment like this. If you were to read the story of Jonah, uh, they, Jonah was sent with a message of mercy that they would turn. Jonah was hoping that they wouldn't turn because uh, they, were, they were a wicked people. They had raped and pillaged the townships and cities of Israel. And Jonah, as a prophet of Israel, was not happy with the fact that God had sent him to his own enemies in order to proclaim mercy. But here we find that the whole city of Nineveh, 120,000 people, respond to the message that God sent uh, through Jonah. And God uh, had mercy on that particular city. So it gives you a little bit of a framework as to the mercy and also the judgment of God. Now, I've noticed that with uh, some of the younger generations, and perhaps for some of us, we may actually find ourselves maybe leaning towards this. But some of the younger generations, they know of a God who loves and they read of a Jesus who loves. Um, but they don't really understand a God who judges. Uh, they see a, a God who is loving. And especially in Australia, they like to, to understand a God who is loving, who's gracious, who's gracious. But when it comes to a God who calls us to account, they're very naive towards it and perhaps would even buck against it at times. Uh, I'd like to suggest that, in fact, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah is an example of uh, the nature of God, as is uh, later on we find Jesus references back to this. Now, if it was just a localized uh, story that Moses came up with and it was through his reference point, And uh, he saw a natural disaster and interpreted it that way. That'd be one thing. But then we find in Luke uh, chapter 17, I think it is. Let me just have a look. Luke chapter 17, Jesus uh, speaking to the Pharisees. He makes reference to Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, And also the days of, of Noah. So verse 26. Now, just as it was in the days of Noah so also will it be in the days of the son of man people were eating drinking marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark then the flood came and destroyed them all it was the same in the days of Lot people were eating and drinking buying and selling planting and building but the day Lot left Sodom fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all it will be just like this on the day the son of man is revealed now just pause there for a moment uh, what he's saying is, and we can find this elsewhere uh, if you read it revelation, the revelations uh, and uh, also in other passages, it talks about that when Jesus comes in his second coming, uh, he will not only uh, bring about judgment on the Antichrist, but he brings an end uh, to everything that existed uh, at that time with uh, the judgment of fire uh, from heaven. And so Jesus is referencing this saying Sodom and Gomorrah is a shadow of or a, a type of what is going to happen on a Noah scale kind of um, uh, judgment. Sodom and Gomorrah was uh, it's kind of like a shot over the bow of a ship to say, we're just letting you know that we could have destroyed you, but we haven't. And uh, it's calling for a response uh, to to respond to God out of, What Paul would say out of fear and trembling, uh, understanding that um, that our part is uh, as his creation, not us as his God. He is our God. So Jesus goes on to say on that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Think of a fire and how quickly you might have to move out of a house. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. So he references back and says, here's here's a warning for you. Uh, Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. So uh, Jesus certainly didn't believe that the Sodom and Gomorrah was just a natural disaster. He understood it to be a judgment from God. And he references to the point that we too will have to uh, take uh, warning that this too is for us to consider. Uh, we find also Peter in chapter 3 of 2 Peter. Uh, so his second book, chapter 3, he also references the same information. In fact, in chapter 2, he talks about Noah and Lot by name and also Sodom and Gomorrah. But in chapter 3, it's now referenced to the fact that this is the case. And so he brings a little bit of a commentary to it. And this is the lens of early church believers looking back at Sodom and Gomorrah and giving their understanding of what this was about so above all this is in verse 3 of chapter 3 above all you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires they will say where is this coming he promised ever since our ancestors died everything goes on as it what sorry everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation but they deliberately forget, you can underline that part, they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, also the world of that time was deluged uh, deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So here he's referencing again, both the flood and also the um, judgment of fire. Verse eight. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, now listen, here is an insight to God's mercy. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He's patient with you. The whole reason why he's holding off this last judgment is because he's hoping that more would come in and receive him as their Lord and Savior. That they would find salvation in the one who has mercy greater than judgment. Uh, Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Very similar to what Jesus says. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Here is the answer to how do we respond to Sodom and Gomorrah's story? Peter would say, take this story to heart, live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. And then he goes to talk about um, Paul for a moment. And in verse 17, he says, Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. In other words, don't let your affections become about the world. Don't let yourself become uh, taken back to uh, the things that are just, um, yeah, that, are, that have no life in them. But keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Get yourself ready Uh, Make sure if we had time, we could go through what it means to be ready in the sense of um, being blameless and and why that's important. Listening to the Holy Spirit. But what I want to pause on today and finish with is that uh, God has mercy. If he didn't have mercy, he would not have sent his son, Jesus, to actually receive the full judgment of God upon his own son so that we could actually have salvation. His mercy extends so greatly that he's waiting, he's holding off. His judgment will come. The outcry of those who are his people is, God, how long? How long will you allow this wickedness to keep going? But he's holding off, holding off with mercy, hoping that that next son, that next daughter will come home to him. So intercessors, your, your partnership with him In seeing lost sons and lost daughters come home is so important. I just want to champion uh, your heart towards just praying alongside your city, your area of Cessna uh, to actually see breakthrough. Let's start praying now that by the time we get to the five by five by five, that it will be almost impossible not to to see people come to faith because you've soaked it in prayer and you're leaning on the mercy of God to see people saved. Uh, for those of you who are uh, perhaps on you know you've treated kind of uh, faith in Jesus as something that is you know as an intellectual uh, decision years ago and maybe even a heart decision but for now you've been living as though is you're just like your neighbor in any way uh, shape or form you just go on about your life and your affections are not for um, or not fully for following Jesus with the cost that it that it requires to lay down those things that Jesus says you must, uh, those who lay down their life now will have life in the, in the days to come. Can I just encourage you, make a commitment again today to give everything to Jesus, not to just go half-hearted towards him. This is not a half-hearted faith in Jesus. He calls us completely to him. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you have to have all of uh, your life altogether it doesn't mean that um, you have to have the, you know, the greatest of, of, uh, of relationships and, and your marriage. But He wants that for you. He desires it for you and it's possible in the Holy Spirit. And so I just want to encourage you. Make a commitment again today uh, to trust Holy Spirit. To guide you and lead you into um, looking forward to what is beyond this uh, lifetime and what He has for you. And to take hope in that so that right now you have the strength to carry out what he's calling you to do in Christ Jesus. So I just want to pray for you. And uh, if you find yourself this morning, perhaps you've, you you kind of understand the story of light in some ways because you found your affections drifting away from Jesus. Or perhaps you've, you found yourself just trying to uh, live out a life that is completely out of your own comfort, uh, out of your own um, desires. And uh, Jesus matters to you still, but you just find yourself uh, more focused on the things of the world rather than on on him. And if that's you, I I don't know that I can actually see any hands uh, over Zoom because I've only got about five different faces in front of me. Um, But I just want you in your heart of hearts to make this personal for you right now. And as I pray, I'm just inviting you to actually make that recommitment to Jesus and to say, Jesus, I, I want to treat this seriously. And if that's you, then I want you to um, perhaps even just write on, I think on the chat line uh, on the side, if you uh, click on the chat and then just put in um, on that little blue indicator, Chris Adney's uh, name, who's the host today. If you just write to him and say, uh, I've, I've decided to either receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior today, or I've made a recommitment to follow him. Uh, I believe that Chris and, um, and then also Amanda later on and the team would love to journey with you. And they would be so encouraged, but they would also uh, uh, know that, um, that, that they're cheering you on to see you grab a hold of the best. And uh, so I just want to pray for you. And so if you just want to pause and close your eyes, let's just talk to God. Father God, I just thank you so much that you are great in mercy. Lord God, each one of us will be held to account at the end of time, Christian or non-Christian, will be held to account to you. Lord God, we know that our salvation doesn't come out of good works. It comes out of a faith in Jesus, your son, who has received the full judgment on him. Uh, Where even John wrote that you love the world so much that you sent your one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life but all who do not believe in him remain condemned uh, because they stand on their own salvation which they cannot purchase for themselves so father god i pray for the men or women or men or women here this morning who have perhaps heard about you they've heard of, of stories of others who have placed their faith in you perhaps they even grew up in a christian home but they've never actually been born again they've never actually placed their faith in you where they've said jesus I give you everything. I'm not just choosing you as the next best option, but I'm choosing you as my only option for salvation. I want to become a son, a daughter of Father God. I don't want to be a citizen of this world. I want to be a citizen of heaven. Today, Father God, would you give them the courage to step into that in Jesus' name, to step into faith in you, to bring a turnaround of their heart, to lay down every single thing that they've had control over. Fears, shame, regrets, uh, foolishness. All those things, Lord God. One after the other. May they make this personal day. May they not just say a prayer. But Lord, may they journey this out with everything you lay on their heart to hand over to you. That right now they'd hand it over to you. Lord, for those who perhaps have been a Christian for some time. But they found themselves drifting back into the world and their affections are towards the world. Lord God, I pray that they would not become like Lot's wife. But Father God, and they would not become like Lot in the sense that he was saved, but only just through the fire. But Father God, that they would know that they belong to you, that they would make a recommitment this morning where they take a hold of uh, your uh, incredible mercy, your incredible favour, your grace that's over them. Lord Jesus, I pray that they would become a people of grace, that they would become a people who are, um, who are follow, following your Holy Spirit and desiring to know you, a people, Lord God, who fear you more than they fear the world. Uh, so, Lord God, I pray that boldness would come on them also, that they would find themselves in new spaces where they get excited in prayer again, where they get excited to search out your heart through Scripture again. Lord God, where they get excited to serve the body again.